You're listening to Serious Business with Andy Audate. Serious talk on business, marketing, and finance to win in this new economy. In this podcast, every single day, Andy Audate reveals cutting-edge strategies, technologies, techniques, and solutions to exponentially grow your business in the new economy. Is a published author, a motivational speaker, a serial entrepreneur. He's widely recognized as an eminent speaker with a delivery that is high energy, uh, which you've already heard, and human potential stimulating. Uh, Andy was raised in a city of impoverishment and a college dropout with little formal education. Andy took a path of entrepreneurship, forcing a course of endless self-education that has amounted to his successes. This path has not only allowed him to change his circumstances, but allowed him to effectively communicate the desire to be great to others. He helps entrepreneurs start and scale their businesses. Uh, He is currently living in Los Angeles, California. So welcome to the Jerry Brazy podcast, Andy Audate. Oh, man, dude, thank you so much for having me. You see me on my social media, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show, man. You bet. I, I, I'm really happy to have you here, too, because you and I have a lot in common, uh, I think, growing up, and I want to get right into it uh, here. Your Tell me about the the uh, the cell phone business. So just by background here real quick, you were working at a cell phone company uh, selling cell phones uh, retail. Uh, and you were very good at it, at least from what I pulled off the internet and what uh, what you provided us. And then you decided to go on your own. At when I when when I was like 18, 18 years old in high school, I was working at at uh, at Wendy's. Oh no, yeah, I was working at Wendy's, and I just got fired from one of my um, from a, a retail outlet where we sold clothes. And at that retail outlet, they they allowed me to have any hour that I want, like I could have any hours that I wanted. If I wanted to work full time, when everyone else was working four hours a day, I was working a full shift and I was working, I got time and a half on Sundays, why? Because I produced results with their standard and their standard was their membership card. So I was constantly producing results and I learned that I can, that I can essentially choose my hours. So I, I understood the concept of if I make results, if I produce results, I get paid more. So I wanted to go into commission sales. I went to T-Mobile to apply and they denied me. I was probably like, you know, I'm 18 years old. They're going to hire me at 18. So I went to the next, the next best thing, which was Metro PCS. Learned how to sell cell phones at Metro PCS, got commissioned. And within a year, with, well, within three months, I'm running my own store as a, as a manager. And then within a year after that, I then left and opened up my own spot by 19. And, I'm, and I, now I, I'm an owner operator at 19, owning my own cell phone store. And so you went out, where does that come from? Where, well, let me back up. So you got fired. I'm interested in that too. So there's so much to learn from, uh, from our failures, much more than our successes. So tell me about getting fired. What, uh, what happened? What'd you learn from it? I smacked my manager. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. But, but I don't say that, you know, I don't say that really with, with like, with like, like to be proud. Sure. But, um, but uh, essentially, essentially, I, I misunderstood the, the humor in the workplace and, and the, the energy and the relationship that I thought I had. So, so she, she started, she was making jokes like, oh, Andy, you don't have friends. You, you don't have people in your life. And I was like, come on. And I thumped her in the head. And then, then she went to go snitch to the, like, to the general manager. And the next day I come to work. And I see the, the general manager comes to me and she says, Andy, can you see me in our office? And I see a bunch of money literally just like this on the desk, just like this. And I'm like, ooh, money, I hope it's for me. And they're like, hey, uh, we saw on the camera what you did and we're, we're gonna let you go. Uh, and, and this is your last paycheck, we're gonna pay you cash versus check. And I said, all right, man, I'm going to Wendy's. I took the money and I left. And I went back to Wendy's and I said to myself, man, Wendy's, I'm capped. Working at Wendy's, I'm capped. I learned about producing results and making more income. That's when I left Wendy's and, and went into cell phones. You know, I'm uh, uh, when I was 16 years old, I worked at McDonald's. And I say today, uh, and really quick for your audience, uh, I started my own business when I was 28, and I've done about $500 million in the intervening 20-plus years. Uh, and that comes from nothing and nowhere. 
I was working at McDonald's as sixteen as a sixteen year old. Uh, I've had ten thousand employees in my time, and today at work, things I learned working at McDonald's I use in practice today and have set up in my company. And so, in, in, in your career, you've had ten thousand employees. I've had your- yeah, correct. I've owned car washes and gas stations and convenience stores, construction companies. Uh, uh, I have a hundred and fifty odd employees right now in a transportation company, development, uh, management. So uh, you know, I've had lots of employees across many different uh, uh, across many different platforms doing very uh, different jobs uh, across the board, and almost. In every case, no matter what the business, development, home building, uh, we own a ton of real estate, uh, commercial real estate, operations for the for the, the uh, transportation company, gas stations, like I said, all, every single business, no matter what it was, in some way or another was affected by the lessons that I learned working at McDonald's for 10 months when I was 16 years old. And on top of that, at that job at McDonald's, I'm a poor kid. I was a street kid at 17 years old. I have eight brothers and sisters. And so as a as that poor kid, all I knew, and when you said four hours, all I knew at McDonald's was work. And so if, it, if someone was sick, I told them to call me and I would work. No matter what the job was, I would work. Uh, and I would leave, though, McDonald's ultimately and any other job I had to because somebody was willing to pay me more. So I left from I left from McDonald's and I went to work for Safeway because Safeway would pay me 25 cents or 30 cents more. But there's so much more to these jobs, uh, I think, for in, in the fast food industry in particular, in my experience, uh, that pay off well down the line that have nothing to do with how much money you're paid uh, at that time. You know, the 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 lessons you get being a young kid working at Wendy's uh, can prove valuable to you for the rest of your life, uh, in my case uh, specifically so, uh, in ways that had nothing to do with, I don't know, I was probably making 285 an hour or something. I'm 50 years old now, so I was probably making 285, three bucks an hour. Uh, to me, it was a fortune. Uh, but again, the money that I've made off of those lessons has been invaluable. What is one of the things that you <clears throat> that you that you remember that you say you took from McDonald's that you still use and implement today? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, is specifically now you're interviewing me. Perfect. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm a sponge and I love to learn. So it, sure. It, it, Specifically, I got an easy one. the The way that if you think about a McDonald's or any fast food, but McDonald's in particular, they've kind of were the first ones out there. They have to they have a huge turnover. You know, hundred, hundred and twenty, hundred and fifty percent turnover every year. So that means they're turning over all of their employees. And so the the systems they put together, they've got to be able to teach sixteen year old kids who have never had a job before how to turn out their product a quality product quickly, efficiently, on time. Uh, customer service needs to be needs to be taught. Uh, cleanup needs to be taught. How to work the register needs to be taught. And you can't spend days teaching these these things. And so what they've done is they put every system that they looked at and put together, and it's, it's greatly improved since I did it 35, 40 years ago. Uh, but when I did it, every system they had, it was simple. A button went off. A noise got made, and when that noise, all you need to know is what do I do next. And there was there was a, a, a laminated sheets that were hanging. That all I had to do was look up, or there was a sign above the stove that told me when this button goes off, do this. Lay down ten patties. When it goes off, you got to sear them. When it goes off again, you push it and you turn them over. If it goes off again, you salt them. You pull. It goes off again, you pull them off. Meanwhile, while that goes off, the buns are in there, and the buns go off. You pull them here. It was two and a half minutes of making a hamburger on a on a level that I could never have imagined. Right, you're you're making uh, ten hamburgers at a time, and I literally could turn them off on a turn. You're turning off twenty hamburgers every two and a half minutes. So. I, I, I paid attention to that. I appreciate it. And maybe I didn't appreciate it right then. You know, maybe the lesson, I'm not saying maybe, I'm, I'm, I'm sure the lesson didn't come back to me right away. Um, but then as I started to look at entrepreneurship and look at business and look at operations, uh, once I gained a little more maturity, a little more experience, then I started to say, hey, wait, 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 wait. I can put those same, pra- same uh, uh, practices uh, and policies that McDonald's had in place at my car wash. 
I can put it in place at my convenience stores. I can put it in place working in my in my transportation company. Whatever it is, I was able to use that, not that specific operation, obviously, because I've never made hamburgers. Uh, uh, I've never owned a company that made hamburgers, but the process is what was ingrained in my head, and I took that process. And I probably have 20 examples just like that that I could give you right off the top of my head. That is that is really powerful, man. And man, you know, I'm 24 years old now. So so when I did the cell phone business, I had made my first million in the cell phone business. However, it was subconscious to me what I was doing because I left one company and I just duplicated what I was doing in that company. I used the same POS system, the same merchant processing, like like everything that I, that was in the first company. I just brought it to the second company. Right. So I didn't I didn't have to start systems from scratch. However, in my current business and running seminars and my, my essentially my business is my name and my brand and, and uh, in my marketing, in my marketing firm, I told my business partner, I said, look, we're, we got to create something like the McDonald's and we have to, we have to essentially be able to turn over someone at a high rate. And I just found this out, Jerry. When I tell you this, I just discovered this recently. The, because what happened in my, and this is great for any entrepreneur who's, who's listening to this, because I was in, 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 my, my, in my earlier stages in my current business, in the, in the seminar space, every employee that I brought in, I'd spend countless hours with them, invested into them, and teaching them the ropes and how to work with me. And then once they leave, then I'm like stuck. So I, I don't feel like, like reinvesting that type of energy into people. So then I would be that, that position. I wouldn't have someone in that position. And then I learned about systems, how to create systems from scratch, just like the McDonald's method that you just shared. So this morning I had, I had someone who was insubordinate in my organization and I fired him on, on the spot without a doubt, without a question. And my assistant put a, a post up looking for somebody else and we'll hire that person within four, a new person within 48 hours because it dawned on me, Jerry, now I got a system and all you got to do is watch the videos, watch the training, watch what, I, what, what your, your manager tells you to do. And it's duplicated within a week. That person is, is back on rolling. Man, that was the most profound thing I realized. And this happened recently, Jerry. Yeah, and I think from an employee perspective, when you, uh, when you, the simpler you can make things, the better it is. Uh, it, you know, so part of being successful, I think, is is being able to manage those employees, and the easier you can make it on them. Now, again, uh, business is 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 technical, and things can you know not be put pen to paper and spelled out specifically every single time. But you can make a best faith effort. Here's something I think that uh, that a lot of people don't understand about employees, and I'm going to generalize here, but this has been true more than it's not been for me having had tens of thousands of employees the way I have, is that employees will, uh, and, and to any employee listening, this is important, always try to protect their job. So you might, I'll give you an example. Uh, I want to automate everything. I, I always have. I was in my transportation company. I was paperless uh, years and years before every other company was paperless. So technology and computers for me has been a big part of my business. And so when you use computers and technology, you're constantly looking at how do I automate that job? How do I automate that piece of business? Not automate the job for the purposes of getting rid of the person because I'm always busy. There's always more to do. There's always other jobs. And I encourage people people across the spectrum, if you're doing something that is, you know, if you have a pen in your hand and you're writing something out 200 times, or you're logging on the computer to update something 200 times, chances are we can automate that process uh, and you can go on to to much more important things. And here's the thing, Andy, that people don't like to do. There's a, there's a, a, I, I think maybe it's just built into us that there's that resistance. I've had to fire multiple people simply because they wouldn't automate the thing that they were spending hours a day doing because that's how they identified their job. And I would say, but, but that's hurting the company. I I have all of these other things that I need for you to do that we're not getting to nearly as efficiently or as quickly as we should. Let's automate this out so that you can do a better job over here. Ultimately I would fire them because they wouldn't want to make it more automated or go smoother 
because they kind of latched onto it and that was their thing. And ultimately, the only choice I had was to get rid of them. That's happened on multiple occasions uh, as you try to automate and make the job harder. When I replaced them, it's a whole other world. The new person doesn't know any better. Right, So she's all, automate that. He's all, I can do that easily. Now I just have to do this job. So those lessons can be tough for, uh, for employees to learn, and the lessons are tough for employers to figure out. How do you manage that? How do you make that work? Because people are going to be reluctant to, to that, kind of, uh, that kind of change in automation, even though it makes it a better process for the customer. I'm not talking about laying people off either. I'm talking about I've never had enough people. I've never had enough employees, so I'm always hiring. I've always been hiring, and, uh, and, and part of that hiring is try to make it as simple as I can. So in, in, in generating hundreds of millions of dollars and, and having tens of thousands of employees over the, over the last few decades, I, I'm assuming. Yeah, 20 years. 20, 20 years in, in, your, in your businesses. Now, many of these businesses sound like you started them from scratch where you had to, to create the, the systems itself from scratch. And then now that supported you in generating your half a, half a billion dollar portfolio. My question for you in regards to that, what, what is the number one underlying challenge that you had to overcome, whether it be employees or systems or, or legal or business overall, that you had to overcome that you are most proud of? There's the, there is different, depending on what point in the business that you ask me that question, my answer is going to be different. Let's say, so, zero, let's say, let's say zero to three. Yeah, let's say zero to three because I think that's the most uh, uh, instructive. The zero to three is you have no – if you knew how hard it is to o- open up, run, and, and start a business, you would never do it. So that's, that's, that's number one. That's what I tell everybody. So the ability for me to have managed my way through it, having no idea about – look, dude – I'm telling you, Andy, when I say I knew nothing, I, I have zero education. Uh, I've said this many times. I was living in a flop house for $25 a week with hookers and heroin addicts when I was 17 years old. Uh, I, 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 I've had 25 jobs in my lifetime. I didn't start my first business till I was 28 years old. So I just moved from job to job to job. I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. I didn't know what interest rates were. I didn't know what refis were. I didn't know what a P&L was. I had no idea what anything was because nobody ever taught me. I was a tough kid from the streets that spent my life uh, 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 fighting. And you know, I saw five, uh, four, murders, God knows how many suicides. I mean, that was my life growing up uh, in the city and the part of the world that I lived in, eight brothers and sisters and dirt poor. So when I say I knew no, I knew nothing, I literally had no idea what I was doing. So that ability to come from that, have no instruction, nobody telling me what to do, and be able to work my way up to A, starting my own business, and then B, being successful at it, which means taking all of the slings and arrows and all of the punches that it throws at you, which they are many and they keep coming and they never stop. And being able to do that for a protracted amount of time until you get up over the hump and you start to understand it a lot better, that probably in that first one to three years is is probably what I'm most proud of. Let me add, too, that I worked for a company from 21 to 28 uh, that I helped grow from 35 employees to 100 employees. When I left and started my own business, I had some investors. I started my own business, and uh, I went from the super busy company I had built to a company where the phone rang four times the first day. Twice it was my mother calling to see how business was. So I went for, and from that, from those two orders that we did the first day, I did $3 million my first year. I did uh, $6.5 million my second year. I did uh, $10, $11 million my third year, and $14 million my fourth year. So, Which company? It, which which, which uh, business? It's a it's my transport in my transportation business. So it was it was a line like this, and so my lessons that I had to learn, uh, particularly in that first three years, were you know on a rocket ship because it just kept coming at you all day long. But a combination of where I came from and and the hard times that I had gone through and the self resiliency that being poor and hungry, you know, stealing food as a kid, all of those things teaches you, I think, in a way 
a lot of the skills that I needed to to grow with that size business combined with the maturity of being 28 years old, having lived that life, having a good perspective about uh, about life, not being unafraid, not being afraid of work. Uh, I worked 15, 18 hours a day for 20 years. That's an absolute promise. Uh, and all of those things combined then got me over that first three, four uh, year hump. Powerful. That that that's really powerful. So what I took away from what you what you just said is essentially to to roll being your your ability essentially o- overall your ability to roll with the punches and get punched for a, a, a pro, your word protracted a long period of time is what allowed you to be successful. Yeah, I mean anybody that wants to be successful, I think I'm Superman, right? I that's I I I've never missed a day of work in my life, literally. I got my first job when I was 11 years old. I paid taxes as an 11 year old. I got I got uh, I got my check. I was washing dishes at a local restaurant. The dude took taxes out, paid me my check. It was 17 dollars and change for the day. I went down to the local supermarket, cashed the check, uh, all for ones. I got 17 ones because I wanted a wad like the rich people had. Yeah. And, you know, what I saw on television. And so this goes to, to my, one of my questions for you that I saw in your write-up uh, that I liked is, is, is that as a poor kid from the hood, the way that you were, immigrant parents, you wanted things. And you used a word specifically, unnecessary objects. But, you know, the, the, I don't like the way that, that, that wanting things is portrayed today in popular culture. I think, again, um, I'm you just 25 years earlier, but what drove me was the want of things, be it cars, be it a house, be it be it food to eat. You know, a lot of my work ethic comes from me working or a lot of my work ethic comes from me wanting to eat. And at the earliest ages, I equated food because we were so poor. I equated food with work. And even now at 50 years old, that still uh, is true. So for me, it really resonated with me in your write-up that I saw that, uh, you know, during your teenage years, you wanted things, clothes, disposable money, fun, electronics, other objects. Uh, And I'm a big proponent of that. Uh, that drove me. That want of things drove me. I wanted to be like the rich guys that I saw driving the cars. I wanted to do the things that they uh, that they were doing and have the life that they did. I didn't know how to get there, but I wanted it. Did you feel the same way, or was it much more because um, you wrote unnecessary things? Did you, did you figure out that maybe the chasing those things weren't weren't for you? Uh, it, it was de- it was definitely the the like like the I guess people mentors or whatever that, 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 that were telling me like it was unnecessary, but I was, I was, I was, uh, I forgot how old I was, maybe like 10 or 11 years old. My dad comes up to me and he, he, I'm laying down on my bed and he says, Andy, I'm going to New York to go buy some clothes. Do you want anything? Uh, because going to New York meant that you can buy clothes for like a dollar 75 cents. You know, you can buy clothes at that, that, that cheap rate. So my dad's going to going over there to go buy that clothes. And I said, dad, I don't, I don't, I only want one thing, man. I need the Nike Air Forces, the mid-tops with the swoosh, with the Velcro, that if I go to school with that, I'm going to be the flyest dude in school. I need that. And right. he, three days later, he comes back. He don't, I, I go through all the bags. Like, he, he brought mad clothes. And I go through all the bags, and I'm like, what are the Nike Air Forces? He didn't have enough money. So I went across the street and, uh, and, and, grabbed, and, and I grabbed a shovel, and I went across the street. It was snowing that time. I said, hey, can I shovel for you? And the person said no. And I was kind of like, okay. He said, no, next person. So I went to the next door and I said, hey, can I show it for you? But that person said, no. And I went to the next door and that person said, yes. Because if that person said, you know, I, I would have probably, I, I might have quit. I don't know. But the third person said, yes, I shoveled. I went across the whole entire neighborhood, knocked on, I don't know how many doors, maybe 80 doors. And I, and I finally got my 16 doors. That I, that I closed and they shoveled for them, made $10 a piece. So I got my $160 and I was in my room with the ones on the bed, with, with the ones in the 20s and on the bed in the fives and I was ironing them. Yeah. My door was kind of jacked up. So, so from my point of view, my door was locked, but it was so jacked up that sometimes you could wiggle it and you could just open it up. So my mom 
came into my room after not seeing me for some time, and and, and she opens, she wiggles the door, opens the door, and, she, and I see, she sees all the money. And I was like, oh shoot, like 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 I was low key like a drug dealer because I was like, oh shoot, like oh no, you can't see the money. It was like 160 bucks, man. Right. But uh, but it uh, looked but like a lot more laid out on the bed. What's that? It looked like a lot more laid out on the bed, right? Yeah, especially what I did, what you did, man. I put, I put ones there. I, I went to the store. I said, "Hey, can I just change this ten for for ones?" You know, like now I got, a, I got ones across the bed. I got a couple five, maybe a twenty here and there, and yep. I'm just ironing, making, making that flat, and I'm gonna hide it in, in, with, with a rubber band, man. There's a, there's music that I, I used to listen to back then that made me feel like I was a gangster. I mean, and and even that portrayed to when I was when I was 19 and I was opening, I was running these cell phone stores. My employees would put the money in uh, for, for my cash location. So I, I ran cash locations and then finance locations. So the finance, the money gets deposited automatically, but the cash locations, we would have to put into a safe. And sometimes the money would pile up because my cash flow was fine, my reserves were fine. So money would pile up in the safe. And I, w- I would, um, I would, I would uh, go into the safe during off during when, when the stores closed. So I'm in the I'm in the basement listening listening Gucci man and I, I was at in in a position where I had the money counter on the on the, the table and, and I have all this cash like like I'm literally like scooping up money and I'm putting it into the money counter and it's it's counting and I put it into bags and I and then I you know, then I head out and I would do stupid stuff like go to the casino and stuff. I'm 19, man. I'm 19, 20, man, doing stupid stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know that uh uh I don't think you know, the thing about – and this goes back to my point that I started this conversation with uh, uh, from your write-up is the the, the want of things uh, and the want of, of like, having money uh, and you, you doing it your way, which I love that story, me doing it my way, getting all one so that my wad was, you know, even bigger. Uh, there's nothing the matter with that and in my estimation. In fact, right. it's what I work towards. And it's always the rich fat cats. You ever notice how it's the ultra-rich are always telling us that money's not the answer to all the questions? And I'm not, I'm not saying the money's the answer to everything, but I'm saying that the want of money, the chase of money, and improving yourself and doing better – stems from you wanted the Jordans. For me, I got a Jordan I got a Jordan story. For me it was a $120 pair of Jordans when I was 22. Now, $120 when I was 22 was fat jack. I mean, it was big money. Uh and I remember bringing the money together. I played basketball. Uh you know, we played basketball in those days 6 7 days a week all day long. I had to have, you know, carried carried my Jordans in my bag. They never touched the concrete, you know, that program. Uh, and I bought them 120 bucks. It's the most expensive thing I bought from zero years old till probably I was 30. Um, was that you know for clothing? Was that pair of Jordans? And so I'm with you on that 100. percent I know, and I think that that's okay. I think that wanting to be an entrepreneur and go into business. There's, it, there's got to be a. Some people want to save the rainforest, which you can't do unless you make a profit. Some people want to want to help orphan kids, and that's great too. But you can't do it unless you make a profit. The profit has to be made, and then what you do with that money is completely up to you. And if you want to do, if what drives you is having a Mercedes Benz, go to work, get the money, and buy yourself a goddamn Mercedes Benz because that's what drives you. And there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think, because it's what drove me. No, hundred percent, man. You, you gotta, you gotta stick true to your desires, man. You gotta stop, stop, stop listening to what people are gonna tell you to do, man. And, and you know, I want to make a point because a lot of people ask me because now I'm 24 years old, and and a lot of people are asking me like, Andy, how is it that you're excelling at such a rapid pace at 24? And it's because I, I listen. This is an interview about me, right, Jerry? Yeah. And even though this is an interview about me. My ability to shut the fuck up and listen to when an elder is speaking or someone, and I say elder, but, but have that respect for somebody who, who's speaking, who's, who's either done something that you want to do or, or in a position where you want to be or has more wisdom than you, is your ability to shut up and just listen is going to support you in your progression. And uh, I mean, I would, I would more, more than my ego served, I would have gladly turned this interview around and interview you and, and, and learn from you because the, throughout the end of time, that's going to support my growth like forever where maybe when I'm 30, I might remember something that you said here that's more profound than just this one, this one show. 
And so I want to share that with your audience, that the, that the people who are listening, that the way to really tr truly be successful is to listen and learn from other people and see the mistakes and, and learn from them. As far as, I mean, that's how I've done it, is, is hear the mistakes and learn from them and then also learn about their wins and, and, and let, them, let them share what, what they feel, like, feel in their heart to give because that can really serve you in your growth. And, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because you have a section here uh, about mentors, and I wanted to bring that up because, uh, first let me back up, I want to commend you on being 24 years old and knowing to shut the fuck up because uh, I have a story about that. When I was 28 years old, I was running this company, this operations company that I had ran, this transportation company that I had ran for the last six years, and I had people twice my age working for me, uh, and I thought I was the 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 shit on the block, man. I knew everything. Nobody could touch me operationally. I was an asshole. I don't know how anybody can't put up with me. I was this tough kid. So I was right in your face. You know, I'm six foot four, 260 pounds. I, I was a nightmare. I don't know how anybody put up with me, but I'm sitting in my office at 28 years old. And I had one of the, uh, one of my competitors from Seattle. I live in Portland, Oregon. One of my competitors from Seattle reached out to me, said, Jerry, we want to find, we know, you know, all the customers. We know, you know what you're doing. You've trained lots of dispatchers we want to finance you and they sent me a pro forma they sent me kind of a look forward set of financials on what this business might look like uh and andy had no idea what the hell i was looking at i remember sitting at 28 years old sitting there with this paperwork in front of me i had no idea what i was looking at i was hot shit when it came to operations i was hot shit because i survived my childhood i was hot shit because i knew everything and here i was sitting there staring at something that i didn't know and so a little a little light went off in my head that said, there's so much more to life than what I'm living. I'm living in a bubble. My buddies and I are all watching sports, talking sports, playing sports, talking about watching and playing sports, right? That's all we did when we weren't working. And I said, the world is so much bigger for me. I need to get out there. What do I need to do? And I swear to you, you said this a second ago, but I promise you, I've told this story, I don't know how many times Billy could tell me on the podcast. This is 100% true. Sitting there, I've said to, I said to myself, you need to shut up and listen. That's exactly the epiphany that I had that you need to shut up and listen. Instead of talk, listen, because there's so many people that know so much more than you do. But when you know everything, which we tend to do when we're young, uh, is think we know everything. We really don't know anything. And by listening to those that know more, you only progress that much faster. So I got rid of everybody that I had in my life. I mean, literally, dude, it was hard. But I got rid of almost everybody in my life, and I started hanging out with attorneys and accountants and people that I had always kind of snub my nose at, uh, more so because they were smarter than I was, as it turns out. Uh, and I started listening and paying attention and I got a mentor. Uh, and from then on, I've been on a rocket ship, uh, in the, in the intervening 20 years, but it really started with that epiphany I had that said, shut up and listen, and it will take you places. Yeah, a hundred percent. That that's, that's what you got to do is, is quite be quiet learn from others, and progress at an accelerated rate. And so mentors are really important for that. Where did you find a mentor? The, when, I, when I got the opportunity to work at a cell phone store, and I, just, I, just, I was just talking to him because we're, we're, I'm potentially doing a deal with him right now. But when, when I was working at the cell phone store and I, and I was uh, 18, I, uh, the, 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 the region the regional manager put me into a, into one. So there was 10 stores in that organization. It was a small dealership. It was owned by a black guy named James. And, but, but the one of James subordinates, the regional, his name was Rob. Rob put me in the busiest store to train me. So now I'm getting trained in the busiest store and I'm building relationships. I now have like a small clientele who come and see me. Every day we're, we're kind of having, like, it's a fun group of people. It's like a fun, you know, like, we're all having fun eating pizzas and shit. And, and uh, Rob comes up to me and says, hey, you're going to go down to the slowest store down the street. And I said, I don't want to go to the slowest store. And I said, I, said, I, I can go there for a day to, like, cover a shift, but I don't want to go. And they're, like, and they're like, hey, man, you, you got to go. So I'm thinking I'm in trouble, whatever. So I go to the slowest store, and I'm pissed off because now my commission's kind of opportunity kind of tanked and and while when i go to the slowest store this black guy walks in he's bald-headed with earrings in and he's wearing a suit and he's on his phone and he just walks by me and he's on his phone and he just walks by me 
I was like, yo, who the hell is this dude? But uh, he's so like, like he looks confident as he's walking. That I don't mean, I don't know. Hey, bro, <laughs> are you robbing us, man? Just let me know. Like, <laughs> I don't know. But he walks to the back, to the back, and then I go to the to, to, to the office manager. I'm like, who's that guy? And then she says, oh, he owns the entire company. I said, a black guy owns the entire company. Get the hell out of here. So, so I realized that the store that I'm at, that's the sole store, is actually the, the, the company's headquarters, where the back is the back office, where all the 10 stores are, is, is headquartered here, and the front of it is one retail outlet. They said, hey, how do we make more money from this place? You just put a retail store on the front. So, so I, I realized that this black guy is, is someone I want to emulate. So every time that he's at the store, or at the office, I go and ask him questions and I shut up and I'm like, hey, can you tell me this? So he'll tell me about credit credit cards. I didn't know about credit cards, secured and unsecured credit cards. I didn't know that, I was 18. He's doing payroll and I'm asking him like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm doing payroll. I said, why is that, why is there a percentage off every every check? Oh, that goes to the that goes to the, the, the IRS and then that goes to the state and then that goes to here, that goes to there. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I see people come in and, and leave crying. I said, why, why did they leave crying? Oh, they just got fired. Why'd you fire them? Oh, because of this, you know, this chess challenge. Okay, got you. And I see people come in, leave smiling. I said, why did they leave smiling? Oh, I just hired them. I said, man, can you teach me how to do that? Yeah, sure, man. And I want you to, I want you to do that to this store. I want you to hire people in the store. So I start hiring people at that store, at the slow store. Then I start firing people at that store. And this is the, the training that I was actually getting subconsciously that was a blessing. So I share that story because in the beginning, I was very uncomfortable. I wanted to stay at my, that, that, that store. It was a comfortable experience, but I was far from growth. I was around people who were eating pizzas every day and, and laughing and joking and, and selling a phone when one customer came in. But I, I, had, I was moved uncomfortably and I wanted to stay in the comfortable. But I, I was moving uncomfortably so I can grow. Now I'm here getting taught by this guy who's hiring, firing, teaching me about taxes, teaching me about how companies grow, teaching me horizontal growth versus vertical growth, all these different strategies that he's implementing in me. Within six months now, he says, hey, man, I taught you so much. I need you to go run the slowest store now in the, com in the company, which is in a mall. I go to the mall. I'm running the store that I have people 26, 35 working at the store and an 18 year old comes in and that's when I took it over because I had the mentorship of someone who wanted me to succeed because I was succeeding in his organization. So he did everything that he could do to pour into me so I could succeed. But he was also feeding my brain with knowledge that one day, maybe one day I can leave and open up my own spot. Yeah, and you had to be willing to hear that too for anybody, any 18-year-old out there listening uh, or any young guy out there listening. You have to be willing to hear that. And uh, as I often say about mentors and, 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 and people in business in general, I'm a, I am as approachable a person as you'll ever find uh, for somebody who wants advice or just some thoughts on almost anything. So with my background and then what I've done in business, if somebody's looking to go or to kind of follow that path, me and every other business owner I know, I know probably 40 business owners, I don't know a single one of them that would turn down a request to just sit down and have a conversation uh, about business. I think we get in our heads that, oh, those business owners are too busy, you know, they, they're they not going to talk to little old me, they're just looking for employees, or they're not making any money, none of that is true. We are looking to give, to, to continue on what we know. We're looking to pass that on, what we know, so that you can be successful. But you have to be willing to hear that as an 18, 19, 20-year-old. So I give you credit for that because even though he said it, lots of people say lots of the right things and many, many more people don't hear the story. They don't hear the advice. They, you know, That's just the old guy talking. Yeah, I, I truly believe that that the these the successful that go overcome certain challenges innately they want to share so that way you don't go through the same pain that yeah that, that, right. that i went through right that's and the other thing to uh to remember about your story there which is something that i preach all of the time is the uncomfortable the opportunity is not in the easy store 
That's not where you make that's that's not where you build your career. When it's easy, you should be there should be bells going off. Anybody listening, there should be bells going off in your head if your life is easy. If you go to work every day and the job is simple and you're eating pizza and everybody's playing around and it's an easy job, you're not challenging yourself. You're not in the right spot. In order to find success, now maybe for you your thing is to just go to work every day, put in your 8 hours, eat pizza, have a good time with your friends and go home. And, 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 and more power to you. For me, that's not what I wanted. And what you have to do is you have to live in the uncomfortable. You have to search out the uncomfortable and live in it in order to learn. So while it might have been easier working in, this, in the busier store, it's harder to working in the, in, the, in, the, in the slower store. But where did you learn more, right? Where did all the benefit come from? In order for me to match the, the amount of money. Now, mind you, I was making like four or five hundred bucks a week. But but in order for me to now on, on where I was at, bro, five hundred bucks a week was a lot of money, man. Like sure, right. You know, that's you talk you're talking about two grand that's two grand, man. Yeah. Um, but 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 being in the slow store, in order for me to make money, I had to go find customers. So that was a difference. In the fast store, customers will walk in. In the slow store, man, they I had to go make flyers. I had to go to next door and do kind of joint venture operation opportunities and so on and so forth. And little did I know that was actually setting me up for success in the future. So all these little yeah. things of, of uncomfortability would set me up even to, 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 to today where, where, so like, like for example, when I was, when I was doing the, 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 the when I was doing the mall where I got transferred, so I, they transferred me from the mall, from the slow store to the slow S store, which was like store 22. Now the company grew and now we're at 22 stores and this one store is really small, uh, really slow. And they put me there. And all the things that I've learned to make that store number two, which I ended up doing in a few months, I made that store number two in the company, was learned at the slow store. So when I, came, when I opened up my business, when I opened up my business and it was, I went from zero to my first hundred grand, it was because of what I learned in the uncomfortable slow store. And I'll give you one, one of the examples. One of the examples was the, the whisper where, because in the mall, if you would, if you leave a certain, a certain, like if you leave a certain, uh, um, there's, there's, there's like a, a invisible, invisible brigade that, that you can't pass to go get clientele in the mall because otherwise everybody in the mall will, will be going out and get clients as the, in the hallway and, and that makes people uncomfortable and nobody's going to come to the mall so on and so forth. So the mall, said, the mall security said that if they see you there, they're going to find the store. So what I would do is I would stand at the invisible brigade where they, where they say I can't pass and I would be like... And I, I would like literally fake whisper, and I ain't saying shit. Like I'll be like, I'll be like, but that's what I'm saying. But but they that, and I'm whispering this, so someone who's maybe a hundred feet away from me will be like, what'd you say? And naturally, I realize that's where I learned psychology with sales. Naturally, people would just be like, what'd you say? I can't hear you, and they come closer. And then once they got closer to the brigade, to, to, to my to my end or my edge, I would say, hey, question for you. Um, no, what I was asking you was, what, what phone do you have? And they would say, they would say, uh, iPhone. So when I said, when I when I said, oh, iPhone, can I see your iPhone? They would say, they would say, oh no, I, you you can't see my iPhone. But then when I would say, oh, iPhone, give me your iPhone, let me see it. They would give it to me naturally. So if I, I learned about the tie down from, can I see your iPhone? Asking, can I see it? Versus, let me see it or give it to me. I learned the difference in the two. When you ask a question, they're always going to say no, but when you tell them in the man, they, they, they end up just doing it. So right. I would take the phone and I would take it behind my desk. I would say, oh, the iPhone, I see what it is. And I take it with me and they come into my store. Now I got them. Whenever you have a business, you've got to go and get your customer bandwidth by any means, whatever it takes. And that was one of my strategies that we have to go and get our customers so that way I can make my 525 bucks a week. Because otherwise I would end up... And, and the paycheck with, you know, 200 bucks. Yeah, I love that because you got to, uh, number one, not worry about what other people are thinking about you, and you're thinking outside the box to try to go get the business, and that's 
that's it in a nutshell. The story you just told, probably as simply put in a nutshell, is the story of business. Who's willing to, okay, the rule is I don't step past this line. Okay, what can I do behind that line that's going to still affect what I'm trying to get done without breaking, without, without breaking the rule outright? right? Maybe you stretched the rule. Okay. Maybe you found a loophole in the rule. That's how the game's played. That's, that's exactly right. What, what are you willing to, just cause you heard no, doesn't mean not right. You, yeah, right, right. You, you're going to go, you're going to figure it, it out. It's funny how you said it's a game. So let me ask you to, to you, to you, do you really feel in your mind that run, you know, running all these businesses that it's really like a game of like monopoly or something, or something of the nature? Um, no, I don't think it's a game of monopoly for me. It's, uh, but the money and how much money you make becomes a a score. Okay. And and I'll put it to you this way. You can have, you know, at this point in my life, um, and I've got a big car collection and a house and, you know, I've got things that I like and want. And pretty much if you want something, if I want something, I just go buy it. Um, and, and what that, what that has, what, what has happened from doing that is that things lose their value, right? When you don't have to, when you made $2,000 a month, like, and I was there with you when I made minimum wage, uh, and I got this junker car, I thought it was the greatest car in the world, right? But it was a complete junker car, but that's what I could afford. Pretty soon though, as you start to be able to buy the things that you want, they start to lose value because you can just go get them. Uh, Christmas starts to lose value because whatever you gave me, I could have just gone and bought myself type of a thing. And so what you find, at least for me, was that money becomes a scorekeeper. So Mm. how successful you are, how many employees you have, how much money you're making from those employees, the size, the type, the scope, how much money you're making, all of those things kind of become scorekeeping. I'm a competitive guy. Like I said, I played sports as a kid and I played basketball, uh, I don't know for how many hundreds of thousands of hours in my lifetime, but you know that competitive streak in me that, that that quite frankly helped me in basketball, helped me survive my childhood, got me off the streets, got me working, and ultimately got me to where I am uh, has become almost like a score for me, and 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 uh, and one that I'm proud of. And so every day I come to work, and I want that score to continue. You know, I want I want to keep running up the score to put me as far away from everybody else as as I can. You know, I I I don't want it to be the NBA where it's a blowout, and then of course they come back on you. Like it, like 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 the NBA is so famous, you know, twenty point leading anything in the NBA. Uh, some they're going to come back on you every time. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make it so big that nobody could cross that uh, could cross that divide. So for me, that's really what it is more so than uh, than the the game uh, of Monopoly. But I will say this about the game: I love the game of business. You know, so so in in terms of monopoly being a game, I love the game of business. That uh, that to me is uh, is what I'm passionate about. Love that, love that, man. It it's man. I got I got man. I've been working out, man. My muscles so tight, man. I can't even scratch my own back, man. <laughs> I got to use like I got to use like you know some scissors to to get up to the to the to the top of my shoulders. So tell me about uh, uh, about your speaking. Uh, engagements and the thing that you're doing there. I got. I read your Les Brown story. Uh, tell us that story and uh, and kind of where you are now and what you're doing. Um. In, to, to, uh, so 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 I, so I, I make I'm ma- I'm making all this money and and the the I'm realizing I'm getting I'm still on the East Coast getting the wrong type of energy from people. Uh, I'm at a gas. I'm at a gas station, and and because I have all this money, I'm I'm spending it so stupidly. And, and when I say stupidly, like I I realized back then. Now I realized I was spending approximately a thousand dollars a month on a rental cars, and every single every single seven days I would get a new car. And I had a relationship with the guy who owned the, who owned the dealership, and he would just like 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 they, like he had me on a what do you call it when 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 I can I can run up a tab. So he I had a tab with him. And we had just that relationship where it's like, oh yeah, just don't worry about it, man. Pay, pay it later when you come back. And so, and whatever the amount was, I just pay. I never, I never even looked at invoices. I just paid. And I had a, a car with me, and I think it was an Audi. And I'm, and I'm pumping gas at the gas station. And somebody from high school, which I graduated, I graduated a year and a half prior. Somebody from high school saw me at the gas station, 
And he's like, hey, man, I see you successful, man. I see you, see you doing, doing your thing. And the, the type of energy that, that that person had, I recognized that energy was, 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 was an envious type of energy, but it was, uh, how, do you, how do you say the word? It was, it was, it was, he was like, it was a lie. Like it was, it wasn't genuine. It wasn't real. He was, he was faking it yeah. uh, to, to try to be nice. But I, I knew that type of energy was something I don't want to be a part of and I got to get away. So I said, I went to my friend and I said, my best friend, I said, hey man, you want to do something crazy this year? He said, what do you want to do? I said, let's get out of here, bro. <laughs> let's, let's leave. Now, not thinking that other people don't have the type of income that I do, but I moved to the West Coast with him. So, but we moved to the West Coast. I closed down the business. I, I was so egotistical that I was like, oh, now I'll, I'll, make the, I'll make the money over there. So I closed down the business, moved to the West Coast. Now I'm in downtown Los Angeles, living in a luxurious apartment, with the pool, with the skyline, right by the Staples Center. I mean, I still live in downtown LA now, but, but back then I wasn't even general. Back then I shouldn't have done that, but I did it anyway. So I'm living this, this luxurious lifestyle, and I, but I'm overweight, really overweight. So I get a personal trainer and I go out for a run. And on the run, I'm listening to rap music. And I'm, I'm running down the street 22 minutes per mile. Like I'm running, old ladies walking by me. In my <laughs> head, I felt like I was running, man. But old ladies walking by me. So I'm listening to all this rap music trying to get me pumped up, but it's not doing anything. So I get myself a coach and my coach is pushing me. And what he would do is he would go behind my back and he would just, like if I slowed down, he'd just he'd start pushing me. And it'd be uncomfortable to get that 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 ugly push, that that kind of mush push on my back. So I, I would try to keep up my pace as much as I can. Then I switched from listening to rap music to listening to personal development music. And I'm I'm not the personal development music to listening to personal development on such as Les Brown, Eric Thomas, Tony Robbins. And one day, it's like six o'clock in the morning. I'm out running, and I said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm just going to stay focused. So I'm listening to Les Brown in my ear. Les Brown is telling a story. And I just focus on running. Now, I'm, I don't want to get pushed on my back. I don't want to get pushed on my back. So on the corner of my eye, Jerry, I see this little, I see my, my trainer shadow. The corner of my eye. So I'm pushing. I push. I push. Now, and I look at the corner of my eye and I still see the shadow. So I push even harder. I push even harder. I go, zoop. Jerry, I get to the I get to the 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 mile point, the mile point, and I turn around. I'm like, yo, the shadow's still here. I turn around, yo, Jerry, whose shadow do you think it was, man? It was your own shadow. It was my fuck. It was my own shadow. My trainer's way back there. <laughs> he catches up to me and he's like, yo, what the hell, bro? Where'd you get that from? I said, I don't do. I don't. I don't. Eight minutes per mile, I went from 22 minutes to eight minutes per mile because I was fighting my own shadow. I realized it was my belief system that said, Andy, you're fat. You can only run 22 minutes a mile. Yeah. So, so because of that experience and listening to personal development, I believed that it was a personal development thing. So I said, that's what I want to do. I want to do personal development. I want to, I want to give that feeling of accomplishment to other people. So I had a vision right then and there to become a speaker and speak with people like Les Brown. And so the ultimately, I know you ultimately hooked up with Les Brown, right? Uh, and you were able to make something happen with him, and 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 I think you worked with him, if I'm not mistaken. For the audience, write this down: bandwidth by any means, whatever it takes. By any means, whatever it takes. When I went back to my apartment, I said, "Man, I see that vision for me to go speak on stage with Les Brown." Now, so I type in how to become a motivational speaker on Google. And I type it in like, okay, let me just type Les Brown. So I type Les Brown, how to become a motivational speaker. And Facebook ad is continually following me now. Like it just, it just keeps following me yeah. with the ad marketing. So I, I put in my, my, my contact, my contact information. One of their sales reps called me. They're like, Hey, uh, thank you for your interest in joining. Uh, you can purchase the program. It's, it's nine video modules plus a two day in-person training for $5,000. I said, bro, $5,000. I never spent anything over five grand besides my car and my business, man. You're talking about nine videos in a, in a two-day training for five grand? Stupid. And, and then, and, and then I, I went hard at him. And then I said, I compared it to a $197 program. And I said, there's another guy for like 200 bucks, man. And then he, he eventually convinced me, okay? He closed me. 
Then the next thing you know, I said, hey, if I'm going to spend five grand with you, I'm going to fly down and meet you guys. So I fly down the next day to go meet up the meet, uh, the, the sales guy, just the sales guy. I, I wanted to make sure that this was a real dude. So I, I fly down there, I meet up the sales guy. As I'm walking out of the office after meeting these people, Les Brown walks in. And I'm starstruck and I'm like, yo, I didn't know you were coming. Oh my God, you're here. <sighs> hello, hello, Mr. Brown, how are you? And he says, young man, touches my face. You look like me when I was younger. And I was like, Les, your, your voice, it sounds like YouTube. <laughs> and and he, he laughs and he walks away. I said, I'm staying here. I'm staying right here. So I stayed in the lobby. I'm just waiting for him to come out. Like, I need a picture. I need an autograph. I need something. I need a hug. I need something. And I overheard him talking about him going on tour. So I said, I want to be part of that tour. I, by any means, whatever it takes, I'm going to be part of that tour. I have my mom. My mom's depending on me because her wrist has been hurting for the last 20 years because she's a dental hygienist. She's been working in people's mouths. So, and then right before I left California, to be left to go to California, my dad sat me down and said, Andy, can you stay in, in Rhode Island because I just lost my job and I need you to be the man of the house. I just, I just got laid off. And then my brother just started college. So who's going to take care of him? If, my, if I'm making all this money, my dad got laid off, my mom's hands hurting. Like, I need to be successful. So but I, I said, I have to leave, guys. You don't understand, I have to leave. So I left Rhode Island. So this is my opportunity. Let's round right here. This is my opportunity to be successful. And, and you know what? I heard him talking about him going on tour. I went, I went to the room after he walked out. I went to the room to talk to the president. I said, hey, can I have an opportunity? I want to go on that tour with you. And he said, the president looked at me and laughed. And, and in my heart, I was like, what the fuck are you laughing at? But in my face, I was like, I, was like, I, don't, I don't understand. Like, why are you laughing? And, and he said, look, you're 21 years old, Andy. You're naive. You don't have experience. 485 students all opted in to go to the tour. I understand you want to, but no, I don't think it's going to be a right fit. I said, you don't understand, man. My, my mom, her wrist, my dad, my, his job, my brother, college. You don't I need to be successful. And, and he laughed and he said, look, young man, I, I got work on my table. I need you to leave. I went back to California. I had a flight. I went back to California. The, the, I was still part of the training. So they had a, they had a group call with all the, all the students, the 485 students on this group call. And after the training, about two hours, they're talking about how to, be, how to speak and so on and so forth. They asked if anyone has any questions. So I pressed... So they said, press star six to be in the queue for questions. I said, okay, I'm going to be in the queue for questions. I press star six. You are in the queue. My turn comes up. Oh, we have Andy Day from Los Angeles. Welcome, Andy Day. You have been unmuted. I said, hey, man, I need my opportunity to go on tour. You got to understand, my mom, her wrist, my brother, college, my dad, his job. I have to go on tour. I need the opportunity. Andy, not now, brother. Andy, not now. We got to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I said, you, you got to understand. You have been on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yo, bro, like, you know, they're, they're taking me as a joke right now. I and mean, this is not funny. They're taking me as a joke because my mom, <sighs> I go back to Florida. Paid, I spent like 99 bucks. I go back on a plane to Florida. I walk up in the office. I go to the president. I said, give me an opportunity. And he says, look, you know, I don't know why they're even here, but I can't. I got stuff on my desk. I got meetings today. I need you to get out. So I get, I get out respectfully. There's an event following the following week. I'm staying, I'm staying in Miami now. I'm taking this opportunity. There's an event the following week. At the event, I get there before everyone gets there. Now I'm, sh I'm shaking people's hands at people are walking in. The president walks in with the CEO and he says, this guy wants to go on tour with us. I say, yeah, I do. I, I, I do. And I shake hands with the CEO and I say, hey, man, thank you so much for having me, Twan, and so forth. Then after the event unfolds, that, that two-day event unfolds, everyone just dissipates, and I go back to the office, and I go talk to the president, and I say, hey, can I have that opportunity to go on tour with you? He said, you're not going to quit, are you? I said, no, I'm not going to quit. I said, my mom, her hands, my brother, college, my dad, his job, I have to be successful. He looked at me and said, all right, man, you're not, you're not going to, all right, we'll start you off in Orlando, okay? We'll start you off in Orlando. Congratulations, you made the tour. By any means, whatever it took. Yep. By any means, whatever it took. But how, let me share something with you, right? This mindset, that mindset, it wasn't just a mindset of, uh, it wasn't just a mindset of like determination, right? It, that's imperative. However, I went through training to do that. And with the training that I went through was an uncomfortable time that when I, when I, when I got into California, 
And I was so bored that I said, I need a, I need a job. And I'm going to, Jerry, I'm going to be honest with you. I've never shared this story before publicly, right? I, I went to, I went to Cricket Wireless right before I, right before I left the East Coast, Cricket, Cricket, Cricket Wireless, who's owned by AT&T, offered me a six-figure check. So what is, it was, boom, $135,000 to stay on the East Coast and open up source. $135,000. I declined. And I came, I came, came here. So I went to Cricket, a Cricket Wireless dealer here, and I said, hey, this is what happened on the East Coast. I can work with you guys, support your growth. I was so bored. Now, what happened was the week prior, I had not smoked weed in a long time. The week prior, someone happened to, in California, someone happened to bring weed around me. And I, and I took a hit of the joint. And when I went to, to, to Cricket, they said, hey, uh, we're, we're just gonna do a routine drug test. And I said, drug, bro, let me tell you something. It was just last week, one time, but never gonna do it again. All right, so I, we don't gotta do the drug test, just hire me. He said, nah, everybody gotta go through it. So I missed the opportunity to get hired by Cricket, which was a blessing. So mm -hmm. I get a job. So I go on Craigslist and I look for an, a job with a millionaire, type millionaire on Craigslist. I see a guy who's selling copiers that talking about, uh, we're gonna do millionaire mentor training. I said, yo, that's what I'm looking for, millionaire mentor. I don't need the money, but I was so damn bored. And, and, and so I got this job selling copiers. Now in selling copiers, you're walking into offices and they're trying to kick you out. And your job is to walk right through with a smile on your face and go to the business owner and pitch them a copier. But nobody wants to buy a copier. So you're constantly getting thrown eggs, essentially mental eggs, and you got to still walk through with a smile. So I went through that training for literally 60 days. That 60 days is what allowed me to have that persistence to go down to Les Brown's office and say, hey, I want the opportunity. That some copies was the most uncomfortable job I've ever had. But I've, that, always, I, I've always said that, uh, that uh, if you can sell door-to-door, -door, right, which a lot of young guys do, if you can sell door-to-door, -door, you can do anything. Because selling door-to-door -door is about the hardest goddamn job there is. Hell yeah. Men, men, oh, my gosh. Yeah. We, would, we would be out in the field. I would have to dress up in a suit, and we would have to be out in the field in the hot, in the, in the hot summer going to 50 doors in a day. Soles on my soul, my shoe soles on fire. I got to go pitch them and be like, hey, do you want a copy? And they be like, no. But I got two deals. My, I broke the company record my first month. Because you just kept trying. Why? Like, what's the worst that's going to happen? I compare it to death. There's a story of 50 Cent comparing when he's at a business meeting with, with, with people like stars or like, like successful people. He compares the business deal to his, the pain of his mother's death when he was young. Mm -hmm. So if, if he says that this is going to be less fatal than my mom's death, then this is something I can handle because I handle, he handled his mom's death. So I compare it to death. So when I was out in the field, I was like, bro, I think it'll be worse to die. It's still yeah. to this day, I'm co-calling people. I'm, you, see, you see me with the headset. I'm, hey, my ego was, was a little high for a while where I wasn't, doing the, I wasn't doing the deals that I was supposed to be doing. So but now I'm, I'm, I'm back to, to doing the deals that I'm supposed to be doing and working the hours I'm supposed to be working and building the team I'm supposed to be building. And when I co-call people, that, that feeling of like, oh, shoot, like, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? And I compare it to death, and I'm like, man, it ain't nothing compared to that. Yeah, and that that uh, one of the things that I preach is uh, perspective and introspection, and that perspective uh, is critical. I, I use some examples uh, for me uh, when I'm asked, you know, how is it that you do everything that you do, and you're busy, your life is so busy. How do you juggle that? How do you juggle the loss of time, all the rest of it? I say, well, easy. I stole food to eat, right? How hard is my life now when I was eight years old with my little brother stealing food to eat? You were the oldest? Oh, no, I got eight brothers and sisters. So my parents had six kids when they were 22 years old. 
And then uh, seven years later, I came along, and I have a little brother and a little sister. So my little, so we we're like two families, and my little brother and I were uh, about were twenty months apart. Uh, so we were always the ones getting uh, getting into trouble. But again, when you have all those older brothers and sisters, and you're poor, they're getting all the food first. You're getting it second, uh, and so there was never enough to eat. And so my brother and I, we knew the local Safeway, the local Century Store. We man, we had it down. We had a whole program. We knew how whatever it was that uh, that we needed. We'd walk out with two liter bottles of Coke, you name it. We could figure out how to get it. Uh, we got caught, you know, probably uh, a lot more than uh, than what I remember. But we got caught quite a bit. But the people kind of knew that we were a poor that we were poor kids, and uh, it's a different time in those days than it is uh, than it is today. But my point being, I never lose track of that. And the other thing I tell people who tell me, well, Jerry. You talk about 15 hours a day, and you talk about putting the time in, and you talk about hearing all of the no's, and you talk about getting shut down and having to live in the uncomfortable. That's very hard to do. I can't wrap my head around it, and I say this to them. If somebody was holding your mother hostage, and she and they had a gun to her head. Now, I know it seems extreme, but just, just go through the exercise with me. If somebody's holding your mother hostage and has a gun to their head, and if you don't do the things, let's say, that you want to do or the things that I just laid out or some of the things that you're talking about, if you don't do that for the next week, so they're pulling the trigger on your mother, are you going to be able to do it? What's the answer? For every single one of us, what's the answer? They're going to do it. They're going to do it. So saying you can't do it, is not true. You won't do it. And there's a big difference between can't do it and won't do it, but can't do it feels better. Can't do it makes us feel like, well, uh, you know, it can't be done. Won't do it makes us feel bad. Won't do it doesn't feel good to us. Won't do it is us having to hold ourselves responsible for the things we won't do. So we say can't do. So I say gun to your mom's head. Now what can you accomplish? Fuck, I bet we could fly to the moon if somebody was holding a gun. My mother's 82 years old. I guarantee I could do anything I anything that would take uh, uh, to help out my, my 82-year-old mother would be exactly what I would do, including flying to the moon with my hands if I needed to. I'd fucking figure out how to do it or I'd die trying, and that is the basics, basis of success. And that's what the basis of being a su- successful businessman and business person, I should say, man, woman, doesn't matter which one, uh, it is right there. Is there just is no nose? Don't lose perspective and be introspective the way that you were to know that you don't know what you're talking about and you need to shut the fuck up and listen. <laughs> you with me? You're fucking. You're funny. I like this podcast, man. <laughs> Dude, it's no bullshit. Straight away. Uh, how do? And we're we're out of time, unfortunately. Andy, shit, I could go all day with you, man. That's uh, yeah, let's, I, do it. Let's, let's let's continue on for like an extra twenty minutes, man. Let's do a part one, part two on this one, man. Yeah, I like it. Let's do that. This episode of the Jerry Brazy podcast uh, with Andy Audet was uh, a great conversation. It went for two hours long. So we're doing something we've never done. Before we are uh, downloading it in two different pieces, so it's going to be two different hours, uh, probably loaded in the same week. Um, but it was a great conversation. He is a young entrepreneur out there trying to hammer it, and the conversation went uh, two hours. So look for it in two pieces.